Today's reading is taken from the book of Acts, chapter 3, verses 1 to 26. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, and a man, lame from birth, was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the Beautiful Gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and carried the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple, asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what happened to him. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this, or why do you stare at us, as though by our own power or pity we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate, when he had decided to release him. But you denied the Holy and Righteous One and asked for a murderer to be granted to you, and you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses, and his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know, and the faith that is through Jesus has given this man this perfect health in the presence of you all. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers, But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all things about which God spoke. By the mouth of his holy prophets long ago, Moses said, The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from brother a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you, and it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people, and all the prophets whom whom have spoken from Samuel and those who come after him also proclaim these days. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, And in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from wickedness. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Good morning, Holy Trinity Church. I'm Sully. I'm one of the pastors here at the church, and I'm thankful for this opportunity to open up God's word with you. We've already opened our Bibles, and I encourage you to keep your Bible open in front of you. We're going to look back at the text a number of times this morning. But as we get started, I want to begin with a question. Do you believe in miracles? Uh, Better yet, 
Do you need a miracle today? If 2020 hasn't caused you to desire for a miracle to break into this world, then I don't know what will. 2020 has been a season of, of everything being upended. Uh, we've had to rethink how we do everything from work to school, to how we get around and travel, to every interaction with friends and family. We've had to rethink it all. It's been a season of upheaval and the church has not been spared. We've had to rethink how we gather for worship, how we get together for discipleship and evangelism. That's why I'm so thankful for the sermon series that we're in. We're calling it uh, Authentic Christianity and we're looking through the book of Acts and our hope and our prayer is that by spending time in the book of Acts that we will be reminded of what it is we've been called to do. It's easy in turbulent times to lose focus from what it is we've been called to do and who it is we've been called to be. And so I hope that this sermon series is centering us and keeping that picture of authentic Christianity before us. I think this is so critical because in a time like this, what the world needs is the faithful and steady witness of the church. Today, as we look at our text, there's a question I want to answer. And the question is, what do people need to see and hear from God's church? It's a, a simple question, and our text today is going to help us answer it. But before we begin, I want to ask the Lord for his help to illuminate his text for us. So if you would, let's pause for a moment and ask the Lord for his help. So join me in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, like a lifeline thrown to a drowning person, your word rescues us. Father, it pulls us up from beneath the billowing waves of our culture and the things that are causing us to be wor worried and full of anxiety. As our lungs fill with air, Lord, fill us with your word. May your word be on our hearts and our minds. I pray that in these few moments, Lord, you would, you would remind us that even though the world may be always changing, your word never changes. It can be trusted. Your promises, Lord, can, can be trusted. And I, I pray today that you would plant our feet firmly on the ground of your word. Lord, guard us against anything false or untrue. And I pray, Lord, that you would use this moment to strengthen your church, but, but also to glorify your son, Jesus. Help us, Lord, in this time, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, today we are beginning uh, to look at the third chapter of the book of Acts. So much has already happened in just the first two chapters of the book of Acts. We, we could give the title uh, to the first two chapters uh, of the book of Acts, the spark that ignited the church. It's a, a beginning of the New Testament church. We saw the Holy Spirit come and fill the disciples. We saw Peter stand up and preach for the first time and 3,000 people came uh, to faith. And with that, the New Testament church was planted. Uh, the end of chapter two finishes with, with a brief but, but beautiful description of what it was like to be in this New Testament church, this early church. It, and I want us to go back and look at it. This is the end of chapter two, verse 42. Look there with me. It says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to the prayers. And awe came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles and all who believed were together and had all things in common. Here in this little community existed all of the potential and power of the church that would span centuries into onto every continent of the world. And yet what they did was pretty simple. 
Pastor John pointed out to us about four simple things that they did. They, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to breaking of bread, and to prayer. You know, when you start a, uh, a new business or uh, a, a new organization, the first couple of years, it's really exciting. It's like a roller coaster, too. Uh, every day seems like you could succeed or fail. It's like walking a tightrope every day. I'm sure that being a part of this New Test, this early church, must have been exciting and invigorating. But in another way, it was probably kind of delicate and fragile. This was an untested church. And so as we begin to turn our attention to chapter 3 and uh, moving forward in the book of Acts, what we are going to see is how does this small little community hold up when the waves of the chaos and disruption of the world and persecution comes against them. What we are going to see is that what may look weak and fragile is actually a lot more resilient than it may appear. If chapter 2 concluded with a description of what it was like to be inside this church, chapter 3 now begins to help us see how the rest of the world interacted and responded to this community. Chapter 3 can be divided into two parts. There's a miracle and a message. Verses 1 through 10 it records the miracle, and 11 through 26 records Peter's message. Another way we could divide up there or say that we're dividing up the passage is to say the, the first portion is what the world sees from the church, and the second portion is what the world needs to hear from the church. So, to personalize this question that we're trying to answer today, what is it that the world sees and hears from you? Let's begin with the miracle. C.S. Lewis actually has a book about miracles. It's aptly titled Miracles, and in it, C.S. Lewis is writing to a world that is skeptical towards Christianity, primarily because they don't believe in the existence of miracles. In this book, he asserts that our history, our own personal experience, can't really prove or disprove the existence of miracles. He goes on to build this philosophical argument for why it might be reasonable to believe in miracles. I encourage those who may struggle with accepting the reality of miracles to pick that book up. But let me say that if you believe the first few words of Scripture that say that God created the heavens and the earth, then every miracle that flows throughout history, throughout Scripture, and throughout time shouldn't necessarily surprise us. The miracle that happens here in chapter 3, it's not a cosmic creation miracle, but it's a very personal miracle. Let me set the scene for us. If you have your Bibles, I, I want you to keep them open in front of you. Uh, I'm going to pick up again in verse 1. Look there with me. Now, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man, lame from birth, was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about, go, about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and he said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. Okay, a, a couple of interesting things here, right from the start. We are told that Peter and John are going to the temple to pray. You see, the early church, they didn't realize all of the amazing implications of having the Spirit dwell within them all at once. They are still really seen as a small Jewish movement. And Peter and John, they, they were going to the temple to pray. And this makes sense. For the Jewish people, the temple was the place where you could commune and worship with God. 
The temple, uh, throughout the book of Acts, we begin to see this transition from the temple being the place where people could see and hear from God to the church themselves being God's conduit in the world where people could see and hear from him through the church. It's this great transition that takes place. Yet here at the early stages of the church, Peter and John are on their way to go pray. And as they are on their way, they come across a man who had been lame from birth. He was unable to walk and daily, it says, he was placed at the entrance of the temple. And there he could ask people for uh, an offering, a gift, money to help him out. It was a good place to set up camp because people on their way to the temple might be a little bit more open to giving someone in need a couple of coins as they went in to worship. Luke tells us that Peter and John, they, they hear the man asking for alms. And instead of simply tossing a few coins or just simply walking past him, Luke tells us that they stop. And he begins to dial us in for a very intimate and personal moment that is about to happen. It says here that, that Peter directed his gaze at the man and, and he fixed his eyes on him. And he tells the man to, to look at us, to look at Peter and John. And, and the man who was on the ground looked at him and it says that he also fixed his attention on them. And here they are, for just a split moment, looking each other in the eye. <laughs> Very personal and sometimes intimidating and intimate thing to do to look someone directly in the eyes. Uh, the word here in the Greek that describes or communicates that Peter looked at him, fixed his attention upon him, it's only used 14 times in all of the New Testament. And 12 of those occurrences are, are, are in Luke or Acts. Luke uses this word to describe the importance of setting your attention to grabbing someone's attention. And, and here, Peter and John and the man are directly looking at each other eye to eye. I have this bracelet that I wear on my wrist. And crazy enough, it's been on my wrist for 11 straight years. It is a bracelet that I got while I was a part of an organization called Best Buddies. It's an organization that works to break down the barrier between students with uh, intellectual disabilities and regular division students. And the bracelet, it once said the phrase, I see you. It's now worn off, uh, but the simple phrase, I see you, is something you tell someone when they have your attention. When you tell someone, I see you, what you're communicating is that you see them as a, as a fellow human, as, as uh, someone with dignity. And this phrase on the bracelet was a reminder uh, that for communities who have been marginalized for far too long, that phrase, I see you, means a whole lot. For this moment, for this man who had been lame, had been probably used to people not even acknowledging his presence, simply walking past him. And yet here for a few moments, Peter and John, they lock eyes with him. And the man realizing that they're looking at him, begins to expect that they're going to give him an offering, a gift, a couple of coins. But the man gets a lot more than that. Pick back up with me in the story in verse six. Look what happens. It says, but Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk. 
and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. I, I love the, what Peter says to the man. He says, I don't have silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you. <laughs> and with that, he invites the man to stand, to do something he had never done in his life, to walk. And at that very moment, the man is taken by the right hand and he begins to have feeling in his legs and in his feet for the very first time. He begins to, to be able to bear weight on his legs on his own for the very first time. And in verses eight and nine, we are told three times that he began to walk. He began to leap and praise God. It's like Luke can't tell us enough how amazing this is that this man who had never walked a day in his life was now going to enter the temple for the very first time on his own two feet. It's an amazing miracle. In the, uh, the verses that we just concluded in verse 10, we get a view of all that's taking place from the perspective of the crowd. We move away from the intimate moment uh, between Peter and the man to seeing it through the eyes of the, the crowd. Everyone who had passed through the gate that day had seen the man, had heard the man. They knew him because he had been lame from, from birth and daily he had been there. And here he now was walking and leaping and praising God. They were full of wonder and amazement and probably a little confusion and, and awe at what they had just witnessed. What the crowd was witnessing was the miraculous power of Jesus. It's a scene that probably was familiar to the disciples who had followed Jesus for three years, seeing him heal the lame and the sick. And yet in this moment, in this miracle, Jesus isn't present physically. I want you for a moment to remember how it is Luke starts the book of Acts. He begins this book by reminding us that in his first book, he recorded all that Jesus began to say and do. And now he's setting us up to realize that the book of Acts is going to be a continuation of all that Jesus says and does. In the book of Acts, we see that Jesus now works through the power of the Holy Spirit in his people, in the church. And so what it is, is that Peter and John in this moment become a conduit of God's miraculous power. What does it mean for the church today to be God's conduit, God's display of his miraculous power in the world? Well, I believe that this story no way normalizes the idea that every Christian will have the ability to call those who have never walked a day in their life to stand up and start walking. But I think that each one of us should emulate the attitude that Peter had who said to this man, I may not have silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you. Can you imagine you and I having that same gracious and generous attitude? Being able to look at the world around us and say, what we do have, we give to you. You may not have silver and gold, but you do have a lot to contribute, a lot to give others. Let's get practical for just a few moments and, and ask the question, what, what tangibly should the world see from us? Well, if we believe that the spirit that Jesus has broken down the wall of hostility between us, then the, when the world looks at the church, they should see a united people, a diverse and beautiful community of people who normally in the world would not sit down and share a meal together 
sitting down and communing with one another. What the world should see when they look at us is a community that, that believes that the spirit will supply everything that we need. And thus we serve others as if we have an endless supply of energy. We seek to love our neighbors and we seek to pour ourselves out, being so satisfied in the Lord, in Jesus, that we can pour ourselves out. The world, when they look at us, should see the miraculous power of Jesus. When the world looks at us, they should see a people who are standing up and fighting against injustice, as if we believe that no one nor any, anyone can take our life from us, knowing that we have a spirit who goes before us, who is our defender and our guard. That way of living, that way of living united, living in a way that seeks to love our neighbor and, and seek justice and good in the world, that way of living will display the great and miraculous power of Jesus. Holy Trinity Church, I hope and I pray that when the world looks at us, they would see the miraculous work of Jesus, the miraculous power of Jesus. Okay, with that said, though, I want to make it clear that simply seeing doesn't always lead to believing. In verse uh, 10 of our text, we saw the crowd. They saw this great miracle. They saw the miraculous power of Jesus, but it doesn't necessarily say that they were led to place their faith in Jesus. They had seen this man who had been lame from his birth walking for the very first time. And it says they were filled with wonder and amazement. It's true. You can, you can be full of amazement and wonder at Jesus and yet still not believe in him. The second portion of our text moves from the miracle to the message. I want us to pick back up in your Bibles in verse 11 and read with me as Peter addresses the crowd that is all gathered and is full of wonder and amazement. It says here, verse 11, while he, that is the, the man who had just experienced the miracle, clung to Peter and John, all the people utterly astounded ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us? As though by our own power or piety, we have made him walk. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers glorified his servant, Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and the righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this, we are witnesses. And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. So what we come across in Peter's second sermon, it's a message of who really has the power. It wasn't the, their piety or strength. It was the power of Jesus. You know, people usually say that it takes about a hundred sermons for a preacher to get his voice, to be a, a pretty good preacher, solid preacher. And yet Peter, on the other hand, already is giving us a masterclass in preaching in his second sermon. What makes his sermon so wonderful is that it takes the attention away from himself and puts it back on Jesus. It's a sermon that causes us to look to him. What we see here is that Peter and John want to clear the air. 
He, they don't want the crowd to think more highly of themselves, but they want the crowd to think highly of Jesus. What they say here is that it, it, it wasn't them that made this man well, it was faith in Jesus. Thomas Walker says that it might have been Peter's hand, but it was the power of Jesus. And that's what Peter wants to make clear. You know, when it comes to telling others about Jesus, one of the easiest ways to start is by telling them about the amazing things that Jesus has done in your life. And this is kind of what Peter does here. He begins to tell people about Jesus by telling them the amazing things he does. It's a simple, natural thing to do is to ask someone, hey, I'd love to, I'd love to get, to know you, get to know you. I'd love to hear your story and I'd love to share my story with you. Right there is an open door to begin talking about all the amazing things that Jesus has done. Peter is doing that here, telling the people about the amazing work of Jesus. But simply telling people all of the benefits of knowing Jesus, it's great, but, but for a full and faithful witness to the gospel, we need to move from the benefits of knowing Jesus to the reason why we need to have faith in him. Peter, in clarifying that it was the power of Jesus who healed this man, begins to lay the foundation for why it is that we need faith in Jesus. He speaks with such clarity and actually with, with some courage because he tells the people that it was their actions that delivered Jesus over to be killed. They denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be released instead of Jesus. They took life away from the author of life. Peter uses all sorts of titles to refer to Jesus, the righteous one, the holy one, the author of life the father of, uh, uh, of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, raised this servant up. All of these titles makes it all the more barbaric and tragic that these people have denied and rejected and rebelled against him. A full and faithful witness to the gospel of Jesus Christ must, must include defining and explaining that we as a people have sinned against God, that we have rebelled against him, Sin, uh, an easy definition is to think of it as any act done actively or passively as an act of rebellion against God. What is shocking about what Peter says in the sermon is just how direct he is, how courageous he is to, to speak to them. He doesn't pull any punches. He says they, they acted out of ignorance. Where does Peter get this courage? Where does he get this courage to speak like this to this crowd? He's, he is calling them ignorant and he's calling them out for the wrong that they've done. He's in a way putting his life on the line. Well, just for a few moments, I want to point out a few things that I think we can learn from, from Peter and where he got this courage to speak like this. I think Peter understood that he had the spirit dwelling within him. He was there at Pentecost. He knew that something was different now. Having the spirit within you emboldens you and strengthens you. A uh, second thing that I think gave him courage is that he had just been spending all this time in this community of other believers, going with John to pray. He was with others all the time and being in God's community strengthens you and gives you courage to share your faith. Third, I think is, is that Peter was a, was a man who was dedicated to prayer. It says that the early church in, in Acts 2 devoted themselves to prayer. At the very beginning of our text, we found out that John and Peter, they were going to the temple to pray. A robust prayer life leads to courage when it comes to witnessing and evangelizing. 
So for you and I, if if we're going to have this bold and faithful witness to be able to speak clearly about sin, we're going to need courage. And we get that from having the spirit dwell within us by being with other believers and, and by having a robust prayer life. Okay, so having this in the back of our minds, let's go back to Peter's sermon. He has laid out all the great things that Jesus has done. He is the one who has just healed this man. He has laid out the fact that it was the people's rebellion against Jesus that is actually the reason they need him. But finally, he concludes with a very clear call to action. Look at verse 17 with me. This is what Peter says. And now, brothers, know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers, But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, and that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus. Peter leaves the people with a very clear call to action, a clear application of his sermon. He says, repent. Repentance is stop walking in one direction and start walking in a new direction. It means, as Peter said, stop living in ignorance and live in the light. Return to Christ. That's Peter's message. He has a very consistent message. He preached that same sermon, that same application in Acts chapter 2. When the Spirit came and, and he stood up and preached, his same call was to repent. I so value that 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 Peter here, he roots his call to repentance in Christ. He says that that if we repent, our sins would be blotted out, that a season of refreshment would come upon us, and that the Lord would send Christ to be with us again. Peter understands that, that when we see Christ, when we look to Christ, what we see is that God is a God who keeps his word. In Christ, all of the promises, all of the prophecies of the Old Testament are fulfilled in Christ. Peter knows he's talking to a Jewish audience. He's in the temple. And so he's saying that all the promises made to our fathers, all the prophecies made by Abraham and Samuel, whether it's a major or minor prophet, all of them are fulfilled in Christ. And so if God promises to to blot out our sins, to bring refreshment, to send back Christ, then, then his word can be trusted. And so Peter calls us, return to the Lord, return to the one whose word can be relied upon. As we uh, wrap up today, I want to come back to that main question. What should the world see and hear from the church? Well, to put it simply, they need to see the miraculous power of Christ and they need to hear the message of Jesus. Peter followed Christ. He heard Jesus preach the message of repentance time and time again. And now here it was, his opportunity to preach. And what is the message he proclaims? It's a message of repentance. Return to the Lord. Holy Trinity Church, I hope that we can be a display of God's uh, power in the world, but also his message to the world. What I want to conclude with is, is bringing us to a lecture that was given by Frederick Douglass, the great abolitionist. He gave a lecture called Pictures and Progress. And he, in this lecture, he describes his day and age. Listen to what he says. He says, our age gets very little credit, either for poetry or for song. It is generally condemned to wear the cold metallic stamp of a passionless utilitarianism. 
It certainly is remarkable for many achievements, small and great, which accord with this popular description. And yet, for nothing is it more remarkable than for the multitude and variety and perfection and cheapness of its pictures. Douglas understood the power of a picture. He was in the business of trying to change the hearts and minds of people, and he knew that pictures had a way of shaping our perception of others, shaping our view of the world. Really, any type of visual art, whether it's photography or, or painting, it has a way of shaping and molding our understanding of the world. It reflects back to us what we believe to be true and beautiful and good in the world. And so Frederick Douglass understood that if he was going to change the hearts and minds of people, he needed to show them a, a picture, a picture that would actually change their hearts and minds. Holy Trinity Church, wouldn't it be amazing if the church today could be a display, a picture of God's grace and mercy in the world. Douglas, he lived in a day and age where the camera was just becoming accessible. But you and I today, we have, every one of us has a camera in our pocket. And anytime we open our phones and scroll through social media, we are bombarded by photos. And whether we're trying to drive down the Dan Ryan, we always have advertisements and images trying to demand our attention. We live in a, in a picture-saturated world. And so it is so important that the church shows the world something different, that we can be a display of God's power and that people can hear God's message from us. The world needs a church that not only embodies the message of Jesus, but also can explain it. So today I join with Peter in calling us to repentance to search out our own lives, to search within us, to see if there is anything in us that is hindering us or keeping us from being a full and faithful display of God's power and message to the world. So for you today, same call, repent, turn away from any area of life that's hindering you from following Jesus. Turn to the Lord. Holy Trinity Church, may we be not only a picture, but also the proclamation of God's message to the world. What is it that they need to hear? They need to see and hear Jesus. But I'll finish by calling those who are feeling exhausted. We're feeling worn out by this moment that we're living in and, and hear this call to display Jesus to the world. And you're just, you just don't think you have the energy or the strength to do so. I call you also to return to the Lord. Come to the one who can refresh your soul. Be filled with the spirit like Peter because it is through the power of the Spirit that we can be a display of authentic Christianity to the world. Would you join me in a word of prayer? Merciful Father, I thank you that you have preserved such an incredible picture of the early church for us. Thank you, Lord, for the book of Acts and the way that it helps us to center ourselves, helps us to shape our identity, to understand what the church is called to do in the world. Father, I pray today that as we scatter throughout the city, that Lord, you would help us to be a display of your miraculous power, but also help us to proclaim your message. Father, I pray for each one of us that we would be strengthened, that you would give us courage, that you would ground us in your word. Father, may we glorify your son, Jesus, the one who is our redeemer, redeemer our savior, the one who blots out our sin, who brings refreshment to our soul, the one whom we long to see again. It's in his name we pray. Amen.